This is Guns and Butter. I think Americans will be doing themselves great damage. They will be shooting themselves in the foot if they were to come into Pakistan. One more thing that Pakistan can do, uh, I hope it doesn't happen really because this is going to be a game changer. Pakistan is constitutionally, conceptually an Islamic country and a democratic country. And if Pakistan was to declare jihad after the Americans attack it, then I think it will be a complete paradigm shift. Of course, we will suffer in the process. But then what happened to the rest of the world, nobody can uh, guess at this time. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, General Hamid Ghul. Today's show, Cutting Pakistan Adrift. General Ghul had a brilliant 36-year military career in the Pakistan Army. At the height of his military career, it was expected that he would be promoted to the position of Chief of the Army Staff. But due to political pressures from abroad, he was not selected, and as a result, he resigned from the Army and is now retired. The highest attainment of his long and distinguished career was his Command of Inter-Services Intelligence, ISI, from 1987 to 1989, during the fateful period of Afghan Jihad against the Soviet occupation of that country. He has written hundreds of columns, mostly for Urdu Press of Pakistan, but also for the English readership within Pakistan and abroad. Yes? Oh, yes. Uh, General Ghul, it's Bonnie Faulkner. Oh, hello, Bonnie. Good morning. How are you? Oh, uh, good evening. It's uh, at 9 o'clock my time. Your good evening and my good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. General Hamid Ghul, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mike Mullen and his Pakistani counterpart, Chief of Army Staff General Ashfa Kayani, met in Spain September 16th at a military conference to discuss ways to shore up strained ties after the U.S. raid in Pakistan. They agreed that the relationship between the two countries remained vital to the region and that both sides had taken positive steps to improve that relationship over the past few months. Now, all of a sudden, there is intense saber-rattling in the U.S. against Pakistan. Admiral Mike Mullen, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the embassy bombing in Kabul was aided by Pakistan's military spy agency, the Directorate for Inter-Services Intelligence, or ISI. According to two American officials, cell phones used by the attackers made calls to suspected ISI operatives before the attack, although top Pakistani officials deny their government played any role. What is going on with U.S.-Pakistan relations, in your opinion? Well, let me add a catch to it, because uh, I think uh, what you described, that um, uh, there was an intelligence report uh, which uh, said that probably these attackers uh, made a call to somewhere in Pakistan and uh, received direction. This intelligence report is not the U.S. intelligence report. Unfortunately, it is the Afghan intelligence report. And Afghanistan intelligence is absolutely zero. They are negative. Because in the past, they have made such mistakes 
like that uh, phony imposter who posed as representative of Mullah Omar and uh, swindled a lot of money from the U.S. as well as from the U.K. And similarly, all those WikiLeaks reports which pertain to me particularly, I can tell you, eight of them, they say, I am controlling this and that and the other, which were totally wrong. And uh, many other reports that they have put out, they, have, they are wrong. I don't know why the United States uh, top general had to rely on a report which uh, in the past has, has always been proved to be wrong. So I think it is the faulty reporting which has led to this uh, outburst on part of Mike Mullen. But uh, we know for sure that the Afghan intelligence is tutored, guided, trained by the Indian intelligence. And Indians are very nervous on uh, America vacating Afghanistan without chastising Pakistan, without Pakistan being leveled out as far as nuclear assets are concerned and as far as transfer of forces from the eastern border to the western borders of Pakistan, that means border that adjoins Afghanistan. That is why there has been so much of a hankering on part of the U.S. generals that Pakistan should go into North Waziristan, where already Pakistan uh, has deployed something like 150,000 forces, as many as the allies have deployed in Afghanistan. And if they go into North Waziristan, another 100,000 troops will be required. Pakistan can ill afford this while India is being supported fully by America. That means uh, the American tilt towards India and a desire to create uh, larger-than-life space for India after withdrawal is what is making India now nervous because if India is to play a proxy for the U.S. after the U.S. vacates this area, then uh, India needs certain wherewithals. Those wherewithals will be curtailed, they will be uh, limited uh, unless Pakistan is put on the mat. And that is precisely what is happening. So I think this over-reliance on Afghan intelligence, if you probe into it, you have to ask the American people, the Congress and the Senate, they have to ask Mike Mellon, what is the source of your uh, information? Where did you get this intelligence? And if it turns out to be the intelligence of uh, uh, Afghanistan, then I think it, uh, he's obviously made a mistake. He's gone berserk. He is he's not uh, in his uh, right mind and not acting uh, as a professional soldier. And uh, there could be other reasons, but I feel that this uh, uh, the Indian-Israeli uh, lobbies at the moment and the neocons are very nervous because the issue now on the card is that... Uh, President Obama and the White House wishes to withdraw their troops earlier rather than later. The date has been already fixed by the uh, Lisbon conference as end of uh, 2014, but I think it will do no good to the White House or to Obama and, and to the Democrats if uh, the election date has gone past and the American troops are still stuck in Afghanistan. It is going to have a, a very profound effect on uh, the election outcome in America. So really, this is, uh, this is more than meets the eye. And I think, uh, as, as far as I know, 86% of Democrats 
want Obama to pull out troops in a hasty manner because it's a useless, futile war now. It has no purpose, no aim, except that American lives are being lost and uh, American money is being squandered. Nothing else is going to happen. The allies, like the, even the UK and Germany and Canada and all the others, they want out of Afghanistan. So there is a debate, I think, a very undercurrent uh, of uh, a tension going on between White House and Pentagon. And I think those generals who are more aligned and more uh, sort of, uh, they are closer to the neocons and these lobbyists, external lobbyists, they are the ones who are now feeling the pinch and they want to do something so that Obama does not make his announcement, uh, which I expect should be coming sometime before 1st of December, when Obama will have to, because that is, in my sense, in my view, is going to be the deadline that, look, we are going out of Afghanistan next year. And they want to preempt that, and uh, they have not been able to put in place uh, any mechanism of transition. They say that uh, we cannot transfer the responsibility of Afghanistan security to the regime which has been put in place, the puppet regime. But uh, time and again, it has been shown that even their deepest security arrangements have been penetrated by the Taliban or by the opposition. So therefore, I feel there is a lot of, lot of it which has to do with the domestic politics of America rather than what Pakistan is doing or not doing at this moment. Well, yes, the embassy attack came less than two months after Afghan forces assumed formal responsibility for security in the capital. The New York Times reported that the assault suggested that the insurgents had the support of many people along the way who had allowed the heavily armed men to enter the city and then let them pass unhindered through the rings of security and checkpoints closer to the capital's center. American intelligence and military officials called the Haqqani Network a crime clan led by a militant named Jaluluddin Haqqani, who has allied himself over the years with the CIA, Saudi Arabia's spy service, and Osama bin Laden. So first it was the Taliban, uh, that the press said, who staged the embassy attack, and now it's the Haqqani network. What is the relationship between the Taliban and the Haqqani network? Haqqani is a very honorable uh, mujahid, a resistant fighter, freedom fighter, and he proved it from 1978 onwards when uh, the communist regime took over Afghanistan um, uh, through Noor Muhammad Tarakai, yes. And there was a, a red revolution in Kabul, and as a result of that, the communists took over the charge of the, of the state. And at that time, Haqqani was one of the first ones to raise the banner of resistance. And since then, he has proved his character, his ability, his steadfastness, and his non-political, non-partisan kind of approach. But subsequently, when Taliban regime appeared on the scene, then Haqqani tried, decided to join up with Taliban. And he took a, an oath of allegiance on the hand of Mullah Omar. Now, according to Islamic Sharia, this oath of allegiance is so binding 
that it holds on until one or the other dies. Therefore, Haqqani network, whatever they say, they want to actually pressurize Pakistan because Haqqani has been linked somehow to Pakistan. He has a Pakistan establishment and Pakistani ISI uh, is deemed to be having soft corner for him. And they maintained a kind of a linkage, vicarious linkage, but nonetheless, there was a kind of linkage, that nexus, which was maintained. Now, Haqqani is an integral, organic part of the Taliban movement. I mean, he's very much an organic. Hikmat Yar is not, although he's also resisting, but Hikmat Yar is not part of the Taliban movement. But Haqqani is definitely a subordinate of Mullah Omar. And today there is also a statement by that, uh, by Mullah Omar's representative, a spokesperson, uh, who has said that Haqqani is one of us and he will not do anything on his own. That means he doesn't take dictation from Pakistan. Simple as that. Whatever he does, he does it on behalf of Mullah Omar, his high command. And second point is that Haqqani network, which was definitely in the past located in Pakistan's North Waziristan territory, but has since long shifted into Afghanistan. There may be the old Haqqani may still be there because he's a sick man. I'm, he's now paralyzed uh, and uh, he is uh, very much immobile. But his sons are now operating from the Afghan soil. They belong to Haqqani network or Haqqani and his sons belong to what is known as Zadran tribe. It's a very large tribe which inhabits four provinces of Afghanistan, Paktia, Host, Paktika, and Ghazni. So they have a very big clout in that area. It's a tribal society, and you have to understand that the tribal elders have a big role and a big, big clout over their territory or over their people. And because it is closer to Kabul, so surely whatever Mullah Omar, whenever he assigns a task, that probably goes to Haqqani. And Haqqani then carries out that task because obviously Haqqani can't go all the way to Kanduz in the north or he can't go to the east in Herat. So whenever there are orders received from the high command, it is Haqqani who carries out those orders. So I'm not denying that Haqqani may be behind it. I mean, that's quite obvious. But to say that Pakistan is ordering him, Pakistan is directing him, I think it is utterly wrong. I'm speaking with former head of Pakistani Inter-Services Intelligence, General Hamid Ghul. Today's show, Cutting Pakistan Adrift. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, then, is the U.S. really targeting Pakistan in its threats against the Haqqani network? Is this why the Haqqani network is presented as separate from the Taliban? Yes, they, they want to target Pakistan. And they are known to have, the Americans have over the past few years, ever since 9-11, they have lied, lied, and lied. 9-11 uh, itself, a lot of people, other than some gullible Americans, now across the world, they believe that this was an inside job. Okay, pretext is there, then... Weapons of mass destruction was a lie. Osama bin Laden raid, which was a drama, we know that they wanted another pretext to close the war, 
and everyone it suits everyone it suits pakistan if this war comes to an end it suits afghanistan and surely it suits the american people as well whose overwhelming opinion now is for ending this war now this is the problem that pakistan is to be targeted i told you that those lobbyists unfortunately the american policy is controlled and directed by the pressure groups the lobbyists and the special interest group this is not the policy that the american people want american people are totally on a different chord and these people are trying to pressurize the white house to follow a different line so really it is targeting pakistan which is the purpose and secondly it may be that if haqani can be eliminated symbolically at least by pakistan or with, with pakistan's help then uh, they can say that we have destroyed at least one strong resistance group although this is not true because uh, even elimination of haqani will not bring any profound effect on the battlefield in afghanistan the battle cannot be won if haqani is destroyed there is no way that this lost war can now be redeemed therefore there is no point i think it has a political purpose maybe that political purpose now towards the fag end of his career when he is about to retire mike mullen comes up uh, with such an outburst and uh, does it have a political meaning does he have political ambition like patriots had political ambitions in the past but because he got sick so therefore he is out of the political arena more or less but i think mike mullen has a damn good chance if he can appease the neocons the republicans and many others who want to uh, a uh, denigrate obama as a failure and b that uh, these people can continue to serve the special interests in afghanistan and among those special interests let me tell you bonnie is the narco trade narco trade should not be forgotten it's a multi billion dollar trade afghanistan is catering to 92% of the opium requirements of the world and surely there is a lot of money and lot of people will lose that if americans were to withdraw from afghanistan well so then do you believe that the us is trying to scapegoat pakistan for its own failure in afghanistan uh i won't say the us because i unfortunately obama has proved to be a weak president and he has allowed the uh, power centers to grow under him they are different power centers and he has no control over those power centers as far as obama is concerned my sense is that he definitely wants to pull out of afghanistan and he wants to pull out by year 2012 end of year 12 when he goes to the polls uh, in november sometimes in 2012 he whatever benefit politically he wants to draw f- from this withdrawal those are possible only if the uh, occupation of afghanistan by america ends by 2012 if it ends after that it it, it helps him uh, in no way his the rating is down to 38% but if he was to address the public opinion directly that is by withdrawing he says i'm saving the money for your jobs and he can also say that look because this is a useless war it was started by george bush and it was erroneous uh, decision therefore i am now presenting myself as a peace time president so he has a very good chance then to win the election but on the other hand the, everything is being done 
to put spanners in the wheel. And I think the generals of the Pentagon are doing exactly that. So on one hand, if they're trying to find the scapegoat in Pakistan, on the other, they are targeting Obama, and they are heavily aligned, I think, with the neocons and with the Republicans. And you mentioned the drug trade in Afghanistan. What do you feel the effect of the drug trade in Afghanistan has on the American withdrawal? Uh, I think uh, if you go by the old experience, uh, before Taliban stepped into Kabul, the level of uh, opium production in Afghanistan under Ahmad Shah Massoud and Rabbani's regime was 4,500 tons a year. And then during the last year of Taliban, it dropped to just 50 tons, 50 tons a year. That means Taliban had eliminated the poppy growing almost completely and therefore indirectly they served the cause of, uh, uh, of America and the West and particularly their young generation because which was being destroyed by this uh, drug trade. But then it has risen last year to 6,200 tons, which I told you is, uh, caters to about 92% of the world's need. So I think when new regime comes in, particularly in which Taliban are dominant force, then it will have a very good effect. And also there is an effect which I want to bring to your notice, that uh, Christina Roca, who was then uh, doing work for the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency of America, she gave a reward of $41 million to the Taliban leadership at that time, although they were under sanction. But that reward on behalf of the DEA was given to the Taliban regime for having eliminated the opium growing in Afghanistan. And, uh, of course, right under the nose of now NATO and allied forces, the drug trade and traffic has arisen to this level. Now, this man, um, Ahmed Karzai's uh, uh, stepbrother, Ahmed Wali Karzai, who was killed a few months back in Kandahar, he was known to be the biggest uh, drug baron of Afghanistan. And uh, Taliban killed him, of course, and they claimed responsibility for it. So I think if the Americans withdraw out of Afghanistan, surely the drug trade will go down, it will dwindle, because this is what the past experience shows us. Now, the New York Times claims that the Haqqani network is headquartered in northwest Pakistan, north Waziristan, and raids Afghanistan from there. But you just said that that's really no longer the case. Is that right? That's right, Bonnie, that's right, and I have checked up on it, and I, I, with complete authority, I say that there may be some elements of it in North Waziristan who are uh, inoperative, non-effective, but the effective elements of uh, this network, they have gone into Afghanistan, because the whole of Afghanistan, they themselves, Americans, will tell you that 75% of Afghanistan is now in the control of Taliban. So why should he be now uh, unnecessarily uh, lazing around in uh, North Waziristan, where every day drone attacks are uh, mounted against uh, civilian population? Sometimes they say that an Al-Qaeda man has been killed. Maybe not more than 30 to 32 Al-Qaeda people have been killed, but more than 3,000 civilians have been killed in that area. So it's very risky to stay in uh, North Waziristan. 
they have conveniently moved out into the areas which have been vacated by the uh, occupation forces as well as by the Afghan forces themselves. And even if the Afghan forces are there, they are so ineffectual, as I have told you, that actually the resistance uh, liberation forces have deeply penetrated the security apparatus as well as the uh, their uh, military forces and police forces. The other day uh, in Kabul, in the Ariana Hotel compound, which was heavily guarded within the green zone in Kabul, and which was the CIA's headquarters, a firefight took place in which one American CIA uh, operator was killed, another was injured, and it was uh, one of the security guards from the Afghan police who did this job. And he simply got motivated because Taliban then claimed that we motivated him that, look, these are occupation forces and they have occupied wrongly our country, so why don't you take a shot at them? And this is what he did. So if this is the case, that means there is not, there is utter confusion. There is a complete confusion, even bigger confusion, of which I am a witness when Soviets were leaving Afghanistan. But at that time, at least, the forces were well-equipped, and they were the communist cadres. They were drawn from the communist cadres of that time. But today, they have no motivation, these forces, and they know that Americans are, in any case, going. Therefore, there is a demoralization, and it brings, eventually, that they start tilting their sympathies towards the opposition that is Taliban. And... To finish up with the Haqqani network, I have read uh, pieces in the paper that claims that Pakistan considers the Haqqani clan essential for its own security. Does Pakistan government need the clan as a, as a counterweight against the future influence of India in Afghanistan after the Americans leave? This is written about in the American press. Uh, yes, to some extent, because they are maintaining, they should be maintaining contact. And if I, I don't know what, whether they do or they do not, but it is part of the intelligence craft that you never lose contact with the opposition, even if one were to consider Haqqani as an enemy of Pakistan and Mullah Umar as well as uh, others, Hikmat uh, Jar and company as enemies of Pakistan. It is essential for an intelligence uh, organization to maintain linkages with them, so that at least you know about them. Eight centuries before uh, the birth of the Christ, uh, a man called Santuzu, he was a military scholar, a genius in China, who said that know yourself and know your enemy. How the hell do you know about your enemy unless you maintain contact, covert contacts with the enemy? So maintaining contact is no crime. Helping them, aiding them, abetting them—that is, that can be, uh, uh, that can be wrong. That would be uh, absolutely out of the way. But as far as maintaining context is concerned, it is perfectly legitimate. Now, if the Americans are seeking to establish context with the Taliban, that means Pakistan's context, if there are any contexts in place, then they should. Uh, be happy that Pakistan has maintained these linkages in spite of the pressure that we have been building on them. I'm speaking with former head of Pakistani Inter-Services Intelligence, General Hamid Ghul. Today's show, Cutting Pakistan Adrift. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. 
Is Pakistan now drifting toward China? Is the Chinese vice premier in Pakistan? Yes, I think I was always afraid that Pakistan is cut adrift then China, uh, by the Americans, then Pakistan will find moorings in the Chinese waters. And that exactly appears to be happening. Chinese deputy premier in Pakistan for last two days, and the kind of statements he has made, he has, for the first time, outside the Chinese territory, they have evinced interest, strategic interest in Pakistan. And they seem to be totally at the back of Pakistan, and they have said that we will uh, make sure that Pakistan's sovereignty, its sovereignty, its territorial integrity is respected by everybody. Now, that's remarkable. I think this is the first time a man who is very well placed in the Chinese Communist Party cadres, he has come here and he has directly spoken to the Pakistani public as well as to the uh, establishment here that Chinese are standing behind you. Now, this is naturally the result of the faulty American policies towards Pakistan. What about the assassination of Burhanuddin Rabbani, the former Afghan president who led the country's high peace council? An envoy with a bomb in his turban blew him up. It has been claimed that this assassination was carried out by the Taliban. What can you tell us about the late Rabbani? Why do you think he was assassinated, and who do you think was behind it? Taliban have denied. They have given a disclaimer on this. They said, no, we are not responsible for it. There was some initial claim by somebody who said that I did this on behalf of Taliban. But Taliban said, we will not uh, make any statement. We, all we say is that we have not done it. Maybe some maverick element within the Taliban or who had a personal grudge with Rabani or something and he kept it a secret until he got the opportunity to go for assassination. But let me tell you, because Rabani was my friend, we worked together, he was like a brother to me. And when he came here uh, some five months, six months ago, uh, after he had become the chairman of the High Peace Council, we had dinner together. And we spent three hours together, he and me, and he confided to me, he said, if Taliban were to join up with us, then together we will join forces, link arms, to throw the Americans out of Afghanistan. Now, if this was at the back of his mind, I think you can now make the assessment that which forces could be behind it. The other thing is that, as I told you, India and Israel particularly do not wish the Americans to withdraw prematurely from Afghanistan till they have finished the job, and the job is that Pakistan is denuclearized. Pakistan's forces, mostly ground forces, are deployed on the western borders instead of the eastern borders. India's hegemonic designs are satisfied to some extent, and India, a space has been carved out in Afghanistan for India to play the proxy role. Similarly, Israel is afraid that if uh, uh, Americans go out of Afghanistan, this will have a direct effect on the Middle Eastern situation. And Israel will feel very weak because Americans will not be present in a big way in this area. And there will be an image that Americans have lost the war and therefore they could lose in Middle East also. So because of this, if this had gone through that... Uh, the, the thing that he spoke to me, Rabani, 
if this had uh, uh, also leaked to some people i can vouch that i didn't i talk about it but somebody else may he may have spoken to someone else also then you can see those people who do not wish to see peace peace is in favor of pakistan pakistan cannot be against peace in afghanistan because all the woes and suffering that pakistan is going through these days are owed to this uh, wrongful occupation of afghanistan by the allied forces who are neither winning nor they are prepared to leave at this moment therefore i think the one country who would be uh, interested in peace is pakistan and i think uh, uh, to say that pakistan could have sponsored his killing is absolute nonsense and as far as taliban is concerned he was trying to woo the taliban so why should taliban bump him, bump him off i don't think it serves their interest but whose interest it can serve it can serve india's interest overwhelmingly and we know that india is deploying enormous amount of intelligence resources financial resources in afghanistan they are creating trouble in pakistan balochistan province they are uh, responsible for paying and financing and training the tpp which is the tariq e taliban pakistan which is playing havoc into pakistan cities and bazaars they are uh, almost on everyday basis they are killing uh, hundreds of people in pakistan so i think uh, if at all it serves anybody's interest it would be uh, india's interest or israel's interest the second thing that i want to tell you is that amal shah masood was killed by al qaeda not by taliban at that time and that was two days before 9/11 because al qaeda was against and rabani was the, the political head of that party to which amr shah masood belonged now i know and this is very few people know that that rabani is a very was a very close friend of ali abdullah saleh of yemen he used to go and spend weeks and months with him because they were on very very good friendly terms and what is going on in yemen may have something to do i am not saying i i have no i just a sort of a very very wild guess that it is possible that this may have some kind of connection but that has to be explored more information has to be gathered for confirming this kind of speculation well now you mentioned ahmed shah masood uh who was the leader of the united islamic front and assassinated by people posing as journalists 2 days before 9/11. Now Masood was a great hero in Afghanistan, wasn't he? Could you say a little something about him because people may not be familiar with him? Yes, Amir Masood was a commander uh, under uh, Rabbani's Jamiat-e-Islami, which was a very large party, mainly comprising Tajiks but also Pashtuns and Uzbeks and many others. Rabani was such a man who was acceptable to most ethnic and linguistic factions in Afghanistan. Ahmed Shah Masood though he was subordinate of uh, Rabani but he used to act independently most of the time and he had formed a little group of his own which was known as Shura Nazar. When after my retirement I was on peace mission in Afghanistan on all those occasions four or five occasions I was a guest of Ahmed Shah Masood and he and I used to have very very long conversations on how to resolve the problems in Afghanistan. So unfortunately he and Hikmat Yar who is a Pashtun 
they could not strike it together. And that is what created problems for Afghanistan. And a civil strife went on for a very long time. As a result of it, eventually, by the autumn of 1994, Taliban emerged on the scene. So, Amr Masood was a very good fighter, a great mujahid. And while these other leaders, including Rabbani, they were being harbored by Pakistan, Amr Masood chose very early during his struggle to remain in Afghanistan in his own, own area. And he continued to be there, and therefore he used to scoff at them that, look, these people are cooling their heels in the nice, lovely climbs of Islamabad, but I am fighting in the hills and dales of Afghanistan. So Ahmed Shah Masood was a, a, a great fighter, and obviously because of his sacrifices, because of his grit, and because of his tenacity as a fighter, he emerged eventually as the leader of the Tajik population, mainly of the Panjshir Valley, but also of the other Tajiks inhabiting Afghanistan up in the north. Now, traditionally, I mean, historically, Masood and Rabani were anti-Taliban. Isn't that correct? Yes, that's right. That's right. But uh, in the very beginning of Taliban, because they wanted to, their aim was to uh, to bring down Hikmat Yar, and uh, because Taliban were operating in the Pashtun territory to which uh, uh, ethnic group Hikmat Yar belonged, uh, they had started helping Taliban. In fact, I used to be in Kabul, and I am a witness to it, that uh, Amr Shah Masood and Rabbani used to woo Taliban in those days. They thought that Taliban would spare them. But to their horror, when Taliban had gained victory in the south, then they started marching towards Kabul and eventually captured it in September of 1996. Now, who do you think was behind the pretty spectacular assassination of Masood two days before 9-11? Now, Masood was talking about something big that was going to happen. I mean, he had... He had some knowledge of what was going to take place on 9-11, didn't he? Um, I don't know. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he, he uh, had any knowledge, but Al-Qaeda was responsible for it, not Taliban. And Al-Qaeda claimed this also. Two of their people were killed in that suicide attack in uh, Takhar province of uh, Afghanistan, uh, north of the Hindu Kush. But I, I don't know whether Masood knew about 9-11 or not. Uh, it's not in my knowledge. Now, when you refer to al-Qaeda, who do you think al-Qaeda is? Who, who controls al-Qaeda? Well, there is no definite uh, uh, indication as yet. They say that Aman uh, uh, al-Zawari is controlling it. And sometimes some other name comes up. Atiya Abdurrahman was killed in a drone attack. It's at one time they claimed that he was there. But Al-Qaeda has very cleverly boomed out of this area. And this is a spectacular move on their behalf that they uh, pulled the Allied forces into Afghanistan where they thought that they are bound to lose and their strength will be sapped. And they have quietly gone into Yemen, to Somalia, to Chad, and uh, lo and behold, in Libya, because the military commander of the Transitional Council is a man who is known to be the brother of uh, Abu Laysal Libby, 
who was killed in one of the drone attacks, who was an Al-Qaeda, very prominent member of Al-Qaeda. So I think Al-Qaeda is taking over that area of North Africa. Uh, there is an organization which is an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. It's a chapter of Al-Qaeda. It's known as Al-Qaeda Islamic Al-Maghrib. Maghrib is that territory which is from Libya, Yemen, Tunis, Chad, and all the other areas up to Nigeria. This is all called Al-Maghrib. So they are now plundering, looting, and uh, stealing weapons from the uh, arsenals of the Libyan government. Uh, and uh, it is quite a paradox that West is supporting uh, indirectly Al-Qaeda in Libya. Uh, and many of the people who were engaged, Al-Qaeda people in Iraq, they are now uh, being found in Libya itself. Now, were you referring to this Abdul Hakim Belhaj? He's the leader of the Tripoli Military Council? Yes, yes, yes. He is the military commander. Yes. Not Abdul Jalil. Not Abdul Jalil. He is, the, he is a civilian head. The military commander, I forget his name now. I don't know. I try to uh, find I, I out, but I couldn't. Isn't it, isn't it Abdul Hakim Belhaj? Yeah, yeah. I think this is, this is the name, yes. This is the name. Yes, he was picked uh, up in Malaysia. But I'm not sure at this moment. I'm not sure at this time. It is, escapes my mind. But I know that person is, was at one time linked to Al-Qaeda. Yes. Now, what do you think the motivation was to assassinate Ahmad Shah Massoud? I think uh, personally that uh, Taliban and uh, uh, Al-Qaeda were not finding closeness at that time. There were, there were gaps between them. And Al-Qaeda was keen that they should win the sympathies of, uh, uh, of Taliban, who were the rulers of uh, Kabul at that time. And this way uh, would be right way to eliminate Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was fighting against them. And if they could eliminate him, then they would come closer to Al-Qaeda. Whether or not they achieved that objective, I don't know. But surely after that, uh, after 9-11, the Taliban decided to give protection to Al-Qaeda and to its leaders. That, is, uh, that was the result, perhaps, of their action against Ahmad Shah Massoud. Do you think that the United States could have had anything to do with uh, Massoud's assassination? No, I don't think so, because I think he's serving their purpose. But he was also linked to the Russians. Uh, maybe because of that, I don't know. I, I will not hazard a guess on this. I'm speaking with former head of Pakistani Inter-Services Intelligence, General Hamid Ghul. Today's show, Cutting Pakistan Adrift. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. What do you think the outcome would look like if the United States and Pakistan did drift apart? If um, United States and Pakistan continue to drift apart instead of closing their gap, Yes, it is going to be tough for Pakistan economically, but more than that, America can do little to damage Pakistan. In fact, because Pakistan is really a ravaged nation after 9-11. Uh, we are paying a huge price for our participation in this so-called war against terrorism. Uh, and the nation will rally together, as it is already doing that. A, a bedeviled nation, a nation in the, in the grip of floods and earthquakes and drains, and all kinds of miseries and calamities. I think it has shown in the past uh, few days 
uh, ever since uh, Mike Mullen made his outburst, that uh, they are rallying together. The uh, assembly session has been called, special assembly session, all-party conference has been called, people are coming out, and this weak and corrupt government is again feeling strong because people are, in spite of all this, because there is an external threat being posed to them, so they are coming together. So from a psychological point of view, Pakistani government, the Pakistani nation is coming alive after a period of, uh, I think, uh, falling in the abyss after 9-11 and the decision that were taken against the interest of Pakistan. Second point is that the army, which had fallen out of grace after uh, 2nd May, Osama uh, uh, raid, that is, on, on his compound, and army and the ISI had fallen out of grace with the nation. So their image is being reconstructed very strongly in the eyes of the nation. So this is, these are good signs. On the other, other hand, what will happen to the Americans? That's the important point. Pakistan will sustain all this because Pakistan has been buffeted so many times from different directions and on different accounts that Pakistan has tremendous amount of resilience. So Pakistan is self-sufficient in food. In fact, it is net exporter of food grains, cereals, as well as cotton, as well as leather, and so many other things which are the basic human needs. Pakistan is self-sufficient in that. It lacks uh, the energy resources, which I think Saudi Arabia and others are now coming behind Pakistan to at least quietly help Pakistan out of this miserable situation. As far as America is concerned, it is going to lose a very tested, tried, a strategic ally located in a very strategic area, and it will lose it to China altogether. And China, which is so far only an economic power, an economic giant, may over a period of time become strategically so important that America's desired proxy, that is India, may become totally ineffective. In fact, America's uh, tilt towards India is so heavy that uh, Hillary Clinton, during her visit to India, she made a very strange declaration that Asia-Pacific region is going to be given over to India. And now one of the congressmen or senators yesterday I was reading, he says, hand over Afghanistan to India. I think if they do that, then there will be nothing better for Pakistan because if uh, Americans, Russians, and before that the British could not overcome the resistance uh, uh, in Afghanistan, how can India do that? India simply cannot fill the bill. So I think India is standing on the, standing on the wrong side of history. And Americans will do themselves no good if they were to continue to show a uh, larger than required interest in India because for corporate America, India may be important. But for strategic America, uh, India's importance is very little compared to Pakistan. Pakistan is more important. And if America does something against Pakistan, Pakistan has many options. One is that it can close the Karachi Harbor for Karachi dockyard for uh, the American uh, shipping which comes in bringing supplies for NATO. They say that uh, we will develop alternative route, but how long will it take to develop al alternative route and at what cost? There is a small little port called Riga uh, in Latvia on the Baltic Ocean, 
and if they land their supplies there and then haul them all the way to Afghanistan, it is going to be five times more expensive than what it is costing them now. And already they are spending $126 billion, America alone, leave aside the allies, $126 billion a year in Afghanistan. And the cost of their staying there would become much more heavy compared to what they are spending now. Second, that if this route is closed and Americans are still not ready to pull out, then it would be a very, very difficult position for them. They will be cornered. They would be locked up in Afghanistan and without supplies because American soldiers are rather compared to other armies of the world. Their needs are much more. One American soldier in Afghanistan is costing them $1 million a year, and that's a huge cost. Uh, it is a Pakistani soldier probably would cost a hundred times less than that. So uh, this is a cost which they cannot bear. Uh, so I think Americans will be doing themselves great damage. They'll be shooting themselves in the foot if they were to come into Pakistan. One more thing that Pakistan can do, uh, I hope it doesn't happen really because this is going to be a game changer. Pakistan is constitutionally, conceptually an Islamic country and a democratic country. And if Pakistan was to declare jihad after the Americans attack it, then I think this is going to change. It will be a complete paradigm shift. Of course, we will suffer in the process. But then what happened to the rest of the world, nobody can uh, guess at this time. I think Henry Kissinger was absolutely right when giving an interview about three months ago to Time magazine or some magazine, I forget, in which he said, don't touch Pakistan, don't go over the brink, because this could start a third world war. Yes, and Henry Kissinger also in May of this year was quoted in the Daily Telegraph uh, saying we should stop beating up on Pakistan. You mentioned Hillary Clinton, uh, U.S. Secretary of State. She urged India to be more assertive in Asia, saying the country should play more of a leadership role. What do you think this what? means? <laughs> it, it means abandoning this region. It means a total shift. It means from South Korea to Japan to Taiwan to Australia to Indonesia to Philippines and to Malaysia. All these territories, India will take hold of them. Now, this is nonsensical. I don't know why she had to make that statement. She should have by now retracted that statement, but she hasn't. That means she was serious about it. Now, uh, General Gould, you also mentioned this Senator Kirk, a Republican from Illinois, who sits on the U.S. Senate subcommittee responsible for international aid. He said that military assistance to Pakistan should be stopped. He said the aid should be tied to concrete steps by the Pakistani government, including allowing American strikes within the country. Kirk also suggested handing over the responsibility for Afghanistan to India. Quote, India has a strong interest in Afghanistan that it is not a terror base. Well, Pakistan has the same interest, doesn't it? Well, uh, Pakistan has legitimate interest. Pakistan uh, is on the border of Afghanistan, and it shares a very long border, 2,500 kilometers of border. 
India doesn't have border with Afghanistan, but India wants to establish its hegemony not only on Afghanistan but also on Pakistan. More importantly, on Pakistan, and that has been our struggle. It is our life and death struggle that we are fighting against India. India is a hegemonic hegemonic power. They have a doctrine, Monroe Doctrine of their own version, Indra Doctrine or whatever it is called. They interfere in all the countries. They have interfered in Bangladesh, which they help liberate from Pakistan, but they are making life miserable for them. There is a Hindu country, Nepal. They laid economic blockage for, for them. They in, went into, they attacked Sri Lanka. They attacked Maldives. They gobbled up Sikkim, and they have kept Bhutan right under their thumb. And India is uh, engaged in now trying to control the Indian Ocean as an Indian lake. So India is ambitious. India is irredentist. It is expansionist. So obviously we uh, do not wish to see that. And they think Pakistan is now the, the problem. It is the hurdle. The only hurdle is Pakistan. And with the help of Americans, they want to really level out Pakistan. But that will not happen. I think this is wishful thinking. India has fissures of its own. There is a huge red corridor which uh, spawns India from one end to other. You know, it is about 20% of the Indian territory which is now in the control of the rebels. Out of their 14,000 police stations, they have 2,000 police stations now in the control being run by the rebels only. And these are Maoist, Naxalized, communist groups who are uh, constantly engaged against the local governments as well as against the central government of India. So really, India doesn't have the ability. They may be making handsome progress as far as economic development is concerned. That too of about 350 million uh, Indian urban elite of India. But uh, India's population is 1,200 million. And therefore, uh, what about those 900 million which are being left out? I think India is not able to handle its own affairs, leave alone trying to control on behalf of America the Asia-Pacific region and Central Asia. It's not possible. Now, do you think it's possible for the United States to negotiate a settlement with the Taliban or not? It is possible. Taliban and never said that they will chase America, they will do this, that, the other. I think it is very much possible. The Americans are trying, but they're not finding a way out because the Taliban conditions are first that you go out of Afghanistan. I think that is a bit tall, but they can say that, okay, we can begin talk if you give us the guarantee when your last soldier is going to pull out, then it becomes only a logistical exercise uh, how and in what manner Americans will pull out. And the second is that uh, take off the label of terrorists from us because we are freedom fighters. We have not been involved in any international act of terrorism, including 9-11. And third is release all our prisoners. But unfortunately, the Americans have not come up with any of these confidence-building measures so far. I see. General Gould, is there anything else you'd like to add about the present situation and the relationship between the U.S. and Pakistan? Yes, only this, that uh, I think the political America is now very much interested in building up bridges with Pakistan. The damage has been done. But it is the military America 
which needs to now clear their mind what is possible and what is not possible. They must understand that losers cannot be choosers. Now you want to enforce your agenda belatedly when you have already lost the war. And this just does not happen. It is not natural. They must understand this. General Hamid Ghoul, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bonnie. I've been speaking with General Hamid Ghul. Today's show has been Cutting Pakistan Adrift. General Ghul had a brilliant 36-year military career in the Pakistan Army and is now retired. The highest attainment of his long and distinguished career was his command of Inter-Services Intelligence, ISI, from 1987 to 1989, during the fateful period of Afghan Jihad against the Soviet occupation of that country. He attended Staff College Camberley in the United Kingdom. As a young officer, he attended the U.S. Pacific Army's Intelligence School in Okinawa, Japan. General Gould faced down riot police when they tried to arrest him at a rally outside the Supreme Court in Islamabad protesting against attempts to dismiss the Chief Justice. He has written hundreds of columns mostly for Urdu Press of Pakistan, but also for the English readership within Pakistan and abroad. Visit his website at generalhamidghul.com. That's H-A-M-I-D-G-U-L dot com. There is some information there in English. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To make comments or order copies of shows, Email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. You dig me? You